great to be with you. Um, it's a, a real privilege to get to uh, walk with you in a, a phase that's difficult, um, arguably. Um, I don't think pastoral transition, uh, having participated in a couple of them myself um, as a pastor, um, but also working with other churches, um, it's, it's almost never easy, and if it's easy, then you feel bad. Because why should, this shouldn't be easy, right? It's a loss. And so um, I'm, I'm thankful for the, the opportunity to, to be with you. Um, so this text this morning uh, is one that is near and dear to me. You'll learn why as we go. Um, and it could feel a little bit odd, but I'll even explain why we're, why we're looking at this one this morning. So if you've got a Bible either on your phone or a physical copy, you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. I think it's printed for you also in the bulletin and text that's too small for my old eyes. Um, so 1 Thessalonians 4 and verses 13 to 15. Let's uh, give our attention uh, to the word of the Lord. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to, declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive or are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Let's pray together. Father, we live in a griefsome world. Things are indeed not the way they're supposed to be. Thank you that you give us uh, the freedom, uh, the privilege, the, even the mandate um, to grieve. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to come to be put to grief uh, for us and for our salvation. Holy Spirit, this is likely a growth area, uh, at least it is for me, and perhaps for many of my friends here. So give us uh, an ability to grasp, to feel, to be willing to, and to hear these words of grace that comfort us in our grief. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, again, this could feel like an odd text, and so, is this for me? Sure. Oh, good. <laughs> it is now. It's good. So, uh, it could feel an odd, like an odd text, let me try and explain. Um, I'm on an email list um, with uh, a group of two or three hundred pastors, and the primary thing that happens on this list is people sharing um, kind of what they're experiencing and sort of trying to, to um, crowdsource solutions to particular problems that pastors are facing in churches. It's been busy in COVID, as you can imagine. Lots and lots of things going on. Well, one of the most recent things uh, that's been going on in the list was pastors, many of them saying, um, we're having a hard time as we try and open up in fall, as we try and fill children's ministry, as we try and staff nurses. We're having a hard time getting enough volunteers to actually reopen. And so I was kind of just, um, I'm mostly um, a, a lurker on this list. 
kind of um, sitting on the sidelines and watching the action. And on this particular one, um, I, I felt like there might be something that would be helpful to say. And I said something along the lines um, of this. The reason more than likely that volunteerism rates are down is because people are grieving. And Americans don't know how to do that. And so they simply find themselves without the emotional energy to volunteer. And until we help Christians learn how to process grief well with the promises of the scriptures, with a bigger view of life, they will continue to not have enough emotional energy. Um, so uh, <laughs> my desire is that the sermon in the end feels encouraging, but it's a little bit of an odd thing to try and encourage you to feel bad so you can feel better. Um, but I'm going to encourage you to. Here's why. COVID has been an unmitigated grief. Um, my wife and I lived with our family in West Seattle for 13 years. Twelve of them were very good. The last one was an absolute disaster. It was awful. Most of the things that we loved about the place that we lived were gone. Gone enough that we lost our attachment to the city and we moved. That's how bad it was for us. An unmitigated grief. Uh, you all have had that as well, and also an additional grief that would quite naturally accompany Dave's transition. Here's my um, you know, compact way of trying to put this to people. Unprocessed grief sits as a debt on your emotional budget. I'll say that again. Unprocessed grief sits as a debt on your emotional budget. Much like when you have a mortgage in your financial budget, money comes in from your employment or whatever, the first uh, chunk of it goes and it goes and pays the debt, right? Lord willing, if you're trying to be faithful to your debts, it goes and pays the debt. Well, when you wake up in the morning and you don't have as much emotional energy as you thought you should have, that's a warning sign to you. Huh, I must have some debt on my emotional budget. And that's why I don't have enough to do what I want to. That. I believe, is what's going on with COVID. Now, that sort of situation can feel hopeless. Um, I, maybe the easiest place to land is feeling hopeless. But friends, even in our circumstance, we can find gospel encouragement if we look for it. We certainly ought to be genuinely grieving. Uh, pastorally, if you're not grieving the loss that is COVID, that would actually be a sign that that something is actually really wrong. Because things are not the way they're meant to be, friends. In our experience now in the veil of tears, we absolutely do grieve, but not without hope. But to get to hope that is deep, it's well-founded, it's solid and secure, it must be found in the promises that one can only hear in the valley of the shadow of death. That's where the Thessalonians find themselves. It's where we find ourselves in this text. And so that's why for your sanity and to remain in touch with reality, you and I must first then give a place to grief. We must give a place to grief. 
Uh, Thessalonians. Um, it's the first letter that Paul wrote around 50 AD. That's what the scholars tell us. It was mainly occasioned, why did Paul write letters? He wrote letters in this particular case for the purpose of this text. The Thessalonians were wrestling with people who died and what was their, what was their destiny? What was our relationship with them? What, were, what had happened? They were grappling with their current situation. Well, let's look at what that was. Look at me at verse 13. This is, of course, the Lord speaking to His people through the Apostle Paul by the inspiration of the Spirit, and here's what we, we hear from God. But we do not want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to have to lack the right information. Okay? Brothers, brothers and sisters, people of the, the congregation, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Um, so this was a, a common way of uh, describing people who'd passed away, who had died. Um, uh, this was the primary presenting issue of why Paul's writing this particular letter. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do. This is God's desire, that you would not grieve as others do. Uh, the sole thing I want us to see here is that true Christians can afford to squarely face a many times painful world and grieve at the right times. Of all the people on the planet, we're the people who ought to do that, ought to feel the freedom to do that. But this is not a popular thing in our country. Um, I, I think that many people in our country would want verse 13 to say that you may not grieve. Full stop. Done. Boop. Right there. I think that's what we would wish it would be. We don't like negative emotions. In our culture, we're just kind of like, we all wish that what it actually say is so that you may not grieve. But friends, if you didn't grieve, and I prayed a little bit along these lines, if you didn't grieve, you wouldn't be following in the steps of your Savior. We're told in Isaiah 53, 3, that Jesus would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We find him at the tomb of Lazarus in, Lazarus in John eleven thirty three 33 and following, profusely weeping. Big displays of emotions, even ones that we find in, in the Gospels, um, big displays of emotions that we'll see in other cultures even now in the world are, are odd to us. See, we... We have this cultural desire to kind of, you know, what do we look for in people? But they can really hold it together, right? Never let them see you sweat. I, I find in, I, I coach a lot of pastors, um, and I, I find that by and large, we've not been taught, usually because of uh, the families that we came from, how to handle strong emotions, we're kind of like, I have a strong emotion, I don't know how I handle it, boop, cut that off, move along. Um, but that's a death of its own, friends. That's a death of its own. Why? Uh, two reasons, briefly. Uh, you were made for emotion. Uh, you look in the scriptures, and what we learn about God is that God has many and varied emotions. And made in His image so are you designed to have varied, many and varied emotions? To, to reflect God's image well to a watching world. 
to reflect God well to a watching world. It requires us to embrace emotion, high, low, and neutral. That's the first reason. To actually image God well requires that full range of emotions. Second reason, um, your body will keep the score. That's to quote uh, the name of a super helpful book if you've not read it. Your body will keep the score anyhow, even if you won't. Um, if you watch, have seen me, um, the times that I've been here over these last years, you will always see that this sleeve is rolled up. I never have something in this part of my body, ever, because if anything touches it, it's excruciating pain. Excruciating is a little strong. Strong pain. The reason is, um, I've had shingles twice, and um, I have um, ongoing nerve pain in two different parts of my body. One of them is the skin in this area of my hand. Um, my body has kept the score. And yours will too. Now, you may want to desperately avoid reality. And, and I understand that you might want to. It's a painful reality. But you and I, we can't. Grief is real. And if you won't face it head on, give a place to it, I'm telling you, it will still have an effect on you. But it won't be profitable to you. I strongly encourage you to live in reality. Squarely face the grief we're sharing at this time. Not facing grief. While it's bad, friends, you ought to give a place to it. That's actually not the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing that can happen is to face grief without hope. The worst that can happen is to be internally or externally wailing with no salve in sight. And this is the plight of many, maybe even most of the people around you where you live, work, and play. Which is why you should also mourn that some don't have hope if you're taking notes. So point two. Mourn that some don't have hope. Look with me at the rest of verse 13. Paul says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. If you're uninformed, you could grieve as others do who have no hope. Um, these others that Paul talks about there near the end of verse 13, who's in this group? Uh, this is, um, uh, these are pagans. It's like I, I grew up, unchurched, right? Um, and Paul writes to the Thessalonians because they were acting like pagans with regard to grief. They were mourning hopelessly. Now think about the plight of people who do not have a biblical sense of things. Uh, one of my teachers, uh, one of the teachers that Dave and I had in seminary, uh, eventually came to, to characterize a worldview that does not include um, God in the picture as oneism. Uh, that all there is um, is the world, as we would think about it, is the world that God made. But that's all that there is. There's no personal infinite God is distinct from the worlds. All there is is just the world that was made. It's the default worldview of almost all the people in the Pacific Northwest that you know. Now, if you live with inside of that worldview, 
where there is no personal infinite God is external from the world, but works within it, right? If that's your worldview, fate or the universe might be against you. But no one, nothing, is for you. Except, perhaps, fate's evil twin luck. Who loves you maybe, and not maybe. Like a five-year-old plucking a daisy's petals. You see, for, for pagans who, who have no cohesive narrative where there's no beginning, middle, or ends, or really point to life, there's no loving father. Remember, in Matthew 6, when Jesus is talking about worry and anxiety and money and things like that, what does he put his, his finger on? Why the pagans are so worried about all of this? It's because they don't have a father. Friends, we have a father. With no loving father, there can be no relief. Do we need more explanation for the incredibly increased rates of depression and anxiety that have come about during COVID? If you functionally believed us, I'm traveling a lot these days, and I was on a flight, um, I don't think it could have been yesterday. Nope, I was here all day yesterday. So it must have been Friday. So I was on a flight, um, and a young flight attendant was serving the section where I was, where I was and I heard him say, you know, that was asked, you know, what are you going to do this weekend? He goes, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, he's like, he's like, oh, that sounds like fun. He's like, YOLO. You only live once. Right? Uh, the old soap opera titled it, um, One Life to Live. The cultural phrase is, well, you only go around once, so you might as well get it all, as much of it as you can the first time. Right? If you functionally believed all of that, and COVID stood in the way of you getting to experience that which you would hope to in your one brief run around the sun, then you'd be radically grieving too. And you would be mad at those who weren't as desperate to prolong life on this earth as much as possible. There was a news article somewhere along the way during COVID where um, the, the, the news article was basically tilted saying, um, Christians are the ones because they believe in the afterlife who aren't as rabid about, um, about all the COVID stuff as other people. And I was like, well, I want us to have a good reputation for loving our neighbors, so I, when we listen carefully. But I'm like, uh, yeah, that's true. We don't believe we have one life to live. We believe that we have one very short one, what Randy Elkhorn calls the dot, that's now. But then we get to enjoy the line forever. And so, yes, our perspective would be different. Christians are the ones who have always walked into the fire of pandemics to love people and sacrifice their own lives as their, as their Savior did because they realized that this very short one is, is not the one that is the be-all and end-all. We need to be careful to not mistake the dot for the line. The people around you who only have all of their hopes are squished inside the little dot. You can see why if your hopes were getting crushed, 
that you'd be depressed and anxious too. Now, as I say that, maybe you look at me and you go, ooh, that actually feels like me. Functionally, that's the way I've been thinking and living. Maybe I'm one of those people that Paul describes as other who have no hope. Now, if that's true, this is actually your lucky day. For on this day, I pray that you hear about a father who loves people like you and me, warts and all. A father who sent his son from heaven so we could have real hope. You see, Christians, like all humans, have reason, even freedom, to grieve. And especially, I would say, this group of Christians, given God's recent providence of the transition of your pastor. Friends, there's a wonderful opportunity for speaking thoughtfully about Christ, who don't yet know him, that's wrapped up in all of this. So let's realize last that maturing Christians have the opportunity, the privilege, the freedom to grieve with hope. Um, Our circumstance is not a duplicate of what the Thessalonians were facing. Uh, They were concerned about Christians that had died. Well, I guess there's quite a number of Christians that actually have died during COVID. Your particular situation, though, is that you have a congregation that's hurting due to COVID and that's sad about the loss of their longtime pastor. I would say to you that my experience of COVID, one of the reasons why we moved, is that it absolutely felt like a death of sorts. It it had me grieving for months and probably will for much time to come. Though our circumstances are not the same as the Thessalonians, I believe that we can derive the same hope that Paul sought to give to them. Look with me at verse 14. So Paul goes on, he says, I don't want to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not, uh, uh, as others do who have no hope. And he goes on, for since we, now who's that group? This people who are trusting in Christ, who are turning daily in repentance and faith, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. So those who have died, they are not forgotten. They'll be included. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Uh, This particular verse, verse 15, has been engendered much controversy through the years. I'm not going to touch any of that. You can plague your pastor for answers about that. So what, what does Paul, what does God through Paul point people to? Well, today it's the Sunday school answer. It's always about Jesus. But with death, depth, reverence, and clarity. How does Jesus' death and resurrection give us hope? It's the same way that if you're one who would identify as other here, that this gospel of Jesus can give you hope. What does that gospel say? Jesus called the gospel the gospel of the kingdom. It's spoken by a king determined to take people and a world that he made very good 
that became very broken and do something about it. Um, frequently, um, when I've had the opportunity as a pastor to participate in a funeral, as part of the service at some point, um, I will tell people, the feeling that you may be having is this is not the way it's supposed to be. You had that feeling? <laughs> Almost every day for me. One of the things I said to that email thread as I tried to say something dense but helpful is I said, um, the world changed and nobody asked me first. Friends, there is no more true thing that has ever been spoken than this is not the way it's supposed to be. It's just true. It's not the way that it was in Eden. It's not the way that it will be in the new heavens and the new earth. This is indeed not the way it's supposed to be. God, the king, who speaks this gospel of the kingdom, is determined to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Isn't this what God does with your heart? It, this is what God can do for your heart if you've given your heart to fate, to luck, to wishes and thoughts, or to substances or goals or love, only to have your heart broken and now you're hopeless. The gospel is a summons from this king who made everything and will make everything. And, but in this current time, this king summons us to repent and believe. Uh, to repent. Christians who are repenting and basically looking at their own self-efforts to manage their own lives and they're going, yep, that's a hot mess. And they're turning from that and they're saying, ah, you do realize that that's why you sin, Right? You sin because you're trying to manage your own life. You're using your own wisdom to try and manage whatever you're facing. And repentance basically says, yeah, I've given up on that project. In this moment, at least. I'm giving up on that project, and instead, I'm coming to Jesus and I'm going, I need you. I need that you lived for me. I need that you died for me. I need that you rose for me. I need you. Receive me by grace. This gospel is a summons from that king to repent and to believe. To turn from what, you th from what you thought could satisfy, but never can. To him who made you trusting him. Notice where Paul, where God through Paul sends you. He sends you to gospel basics for hope in the face of grief. Now, I think that if it, it's easy to be jaded and cynical, to gloss right over this and go, that's a very simplistic answer. It doesn't really, it doesn't really answer anything. But if you do that, recognize that you are not getting, you're not sensing the depth and the profundity of what God's trying to say compassionately to you here. You see, if you're receiving and resting in Jesus for your hope, you can grieve, but with hope now, 
you can grieve with hope. And you can have the privilege of giving that hope away. Why? Because you've come to a deep-seated belief that this isn't all that there is. Thankfully. Uh, interestingly, in 1 Peter 3.15, in part, here's what we read. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the... Oh, come on. You can say it louder than that. For the... Fascinating. That is absolutely, positively fascinating. That our hope would be of such an obvious depth and quality that people would approach us and ask us about it. That's the kind of hope that's available to us. And then we get the privilege of speaking to them with gentleness and respect. Now, for that to work, it assumes two things. One is that you have hope. And the second is that it's visible enough for people to ask you. You might ask me, how do I get that kind of hope? How do I get that kind of hope? I, friends, here's what I found. It comes as we deeply reflect on the love of the Father and the heart of Jesus for us, his people. That we get why all of, <laughs> why all of the ministry of Jesus happened and what was in his heart as he went about it. Think with me. How is it that Jesus even ends up on earth at all so that he can live and die and rise? Why is he even on earth at all? You, you do know that he didn't have to do that. He chose to. He didn't have to be born at all. He didn't have to come. The Father didn't have to send him. Jesus didn't have to die as though some outside force prevailed upon him. No, these symbols on the table. C.S. Lewis well captured this in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. These symbols on the table are of a willing victim. One who gave himself up for us all for broken, wandering, emotionally raw people. Nothing constrained Father and Son except love and a fierce passion for grief to progress to hope. Now, and for grief to be gone forever at Christ's second coming and the ushering in of the new heavens and the new earth. When Jesus returns, the sure bud that is Jesus' resurrection will come to full flower in the remaking of everything to be very good again with no mourning. This is great. I'm going I'm to misquote it, but I'm sure going to try and quote it. Um, and somebody can correct me. I'm happy to be corrected. That tears and mourning will flee away. That's stunning. That's the heart of Jesus. That's why he came, that that could be in part true of us now as we grieve with hope and true for us forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus' resurrection will come to full flower in the remaking of everything to be very good again with no mourning or tears or sorrow forever 
again, but only joy, pure and clean every day as much as you want. Won't that be good? Doesn't the love of the Father, the good Father whose providence has brought us here, love shown at the cross and the tomb, doesn't that give you hope even in the midst of your grief? This, friends, is God's encouragement to us that we might grieve with hope. Let's do that with prayer as we come to the table. Father, thank you that this is your heart towards us, your wayward creatures. That you are so passionate to erase all that is griefsome that you were willing to give up your own son. And that Jesus in the council of heaven in mysteries that we cannot comprehend, you raised your hand voluntarily. Most willingly, you said, I'll go. I'll go for them. I'll go for what we made. Holy Spirit, I know even as the preacher that I can be really dense, be very short-sighted, see only the dot. Would you help us grieve with hope, Holy Spirit, by helping us to see the wonder of what it is to be included in the family of God and and to have the kind of secure hope that comes from believing the line is yet to come. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.